So we've been answering some questions in our uh, inbox uh, at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com and also our um, comment section in our videos here on our YouTube channel. And uh, I wanted to go ahead and answer this one from Seamus. I would love to hear more about your leaving Catholicism. You mentioned in this video about the different beliefs on when the rapture might happen as not being a salvation issue. Is the core parts of what is required to be saved within the Catholic faith also, or I, I assume what's being asked there, is it the same? Uh, and is, is a Roman Catholic believe the same thing, or at least close enough about the same thing in regard to salvation um, as uh, as Protestants do or evangelicals do? Is it a salvation issue? Is it really that different? Um, the short answer is yes, it is. Um, you know, um, in regard to the rapture, you could believe that there is no rapture. You could believe some different perspective on when the rapture might happen. And this will not in any way affect your being saved. It will maybe, it may have some peripheral impacts. It may potentially touch on your sense of anticipation of seeing the Lord or something like that. But in terms of being saved, it really doesn't have any bearing at all. You can um, you can be saved and not believe in the rapture. You can be saved and not even know about the rapture, uh, much less arguing about where it might land. And so, um, but uh, but when it comes to the question of soteriology or salvation, uh, what it means to be saved, how can we know we're saved? Those are questions that, by definition, are salvation issue. And I think um, I think that there is from a fundamental doctrinal theological perspective, there is a big difference, uh, a very significant uh, opposite end of the spectrum perspective on what it means to be saved, how we're saved, and even to know for sure that you are saved, difference between Roman Catholicism and a biblical description of this. Um, I would say evangelical Protestant, I think that's fair, but I'm just going to use the word biblical because I do think that there is a difference between what the Bible says about this and what the Roman Catholic Church says about this. Now, at this point, I just want to say this is not intended to be taking shots at Catholics. This is a purely doctrinal, theological uh, thing. And my leaving Roman Catholicism really at the beginning uh, was based on two main things. Uh, one is the authority of Scripture as opposed to the authority of Scripture plus in Roman Catholicism, for example, um, it is not just Scripture as the final word, but as the custodians of Scripture, the magisterium of the Roman Catholic Church uh, would speak on equal footing with Scripture, although they would argue that they're speaking from either clearly Scripture or from implications of Scripture, but they're speaking as authoritatively as Scripture would be. As a matter of fact, uh, just to take that one step further, uh, the Pope in Catholicism, uh, not everything that he says would be considered gospel truth, uh, excuse the pun, but um, but when he speaks ex cathedra or from the chair, he would be speaking with the same apostolic authority that Peter would have or any of the disciples would have. But certainly Peter specifically, as the Pope is the latest um, person to sit in that seat of authority whether literally in his own case or figuratively in Peter's, you know, he didn't have a throne per se, but, but today the popes do sit in the chair where, from which they would uh, pronounce dogma for, uh, for the church. Not, not always just solo. It's, it's often within, with, in concert with the other bishops and those kinds of things. So I'm not trying to misrepresent this at all or to minimize or trivialize what that's all about. But I would disagree with it. I would argue that, biblically speaking, there is no place for that kind of thinking. 
Rather, instead, the scriptures themselves declare themselves to be God-breathed and therefore profitable for all of the areas of life that a believer needs to grow in their faith and practice. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 speaks to that very thing. And so... Um, so biblical authority is one of the reasons. And the second one would have been to tie to your question, the question of salvation. I'm going to read here from 1 John chapter 5. This, I think, is a, an extremely important passage, and I quote it often. Uh, not in, really hardly ever even in discussions about Catholicism, um, but many believers wrestle with the question of whether or not they are saved, whether or not they are born again, and will in fact stand secure in God's sight and presence when they die. Um, but I think that the Bible tells us we can have that confidence, and so it's important for us to know passages like this. And I'll read that here. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay? That statement is very, very straightforward. Now, in, in some manuscripts, it adds, and that you may continue to believe uh, in the name of the Son of God, although continue to believe or continue to is... Um, um, in italics, and so it's not original, even on the manuscripts that this is found. So it would read, uh, and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. So the idea here of belief in the name of the Son of God brings with it a sense of knowing current, present tense, that you have, present tense, eternal life. In other words, John the Apostle, who was one of Jesus' inner group of the disciples, close friend, leaned on Jesus at the Last Supper, a gospel writer, a matter of fact, wrote his gospel many, many years after the fact, um, ultimately uh, speaking of the story of Christ and everything with under divine inspiration and these three letters and the book of Revelation. He says these words, this is the Holy Spirit's truth that he gave to us. That if we believe in the name of the Son of God, we may know that we have eternal life. You couldn't be more clear than that. That is an absolute statement that if you are a follower of Christ or a believer in Jesus, and of course by believing in Jesus, that means you believe in what he did for us in dying on the cross, being buried and rising again the third day, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, you may know that you have eternal life. Well, to have that kind of confidence uh, is something that is anathematized within the theology of Roman Catholicism, within the doctrinal positions of Roman Catholicism. Uh, I was reading uh, portions of Trent, the Council of Trent, uh, and some of those anathemas, as a matter of fact. And it's, it's a little simplistic to simply pull an anathema and say, well, here's what it says, and therefore it's, you know. But the idea is within that entire council and doctrine, uh, doc, uh, document and everything, uh, is, uh, is, is, is developed and built on their thinking and all this kind of thing. But the idea that one could believe that they are in fact saved and will in fact stand in the presence of God free of judgment one day is something that Roman Catholicism does not believe is right and accurate. You, uh, and, and they would deny that that is the biblical teaching. Um, which is why in practice most most every Catholic you would ever talk to, if you ask them if they knew they were going to heaven when they died, um, they probably would say they don't know. They might imagine there's maybe a, some time spent in tur- purgatory, uh, working off some unconfessed sin or those kinds of things. But most of them would be very, very hesitant to say that they have certainty about where they would stand if they died today. Uh, and if they did believe they would see the Lord today and they'd stand in his presence, it's generally because they feel like they're a pretty good person. 
Now, the doctrine of salvation is something that is very clear in Scripture, abundantly clear, does not require all kinds of outside apparatus to understand it. Uh, and, and I would suggest that, that those that are unfamiliar with what the Bible says about it would do well to take time reading the Scriptures. Start in the New Testament and start to understand these ideas. Uh, but in the Old Testament, I would argue the same uh, underlying principle of a salvation by grace received through faith is something that pervades the scripture, Old and New Testaments. And so to require, to, to put your trust in some other institution or apparatus upon the text to tell you what it means and says, I think is, you know, if I can be a little blunt about it, dereliction of duty. It's like we all have a responsibility to know what God has said. After all, he gave us his revelation that we might know. And so, it's important and it's incumbent upon us to do that. Now, the actual fundamentals of salvation, biblically speaking, and, and in regard to Roman Catholicism, again, are also very different. And this is the second reason why, um, uh, and I'm second not in importance, but just the other reason among the two main ones that I left Roman Catholicism over. This, of course, having to do with how you are saved. Not just that you know you're saved, but how are you saved in the first place? Within Roman Catholicism, there's a very clear understanding that you are not saved by grace through faith alone, but rather instead, your works are meritorious. Again, I could quote a section from Trent and that kind of thing, but it's not enough that it just says it in an anathema or something. And sometimes those anathemas are misunderstood by Protestants looking for proof texts to demonstrate an idea against the Roman Catholic Church. I would argue that Roman Catholic theology as a body of work is misguided in regard to what it means to be saved and how one is saved. The scriptures are sufficient to help us understand this by themselves. Here's one of the reasons why I think that. That may sound like a bold statement, but here's one of the reasons why I think that. When Paul or Peter or John or anybody who wrote in the scriptures wrote these things, and I'll just kind of focus here on the New Testament, when these letters were written and when the gospels were written, they were written to ordinary people. There's really only maybe Luke and Acts written to Theophilus, you know, that are maybe these are, this is somebody who's a little bit more high-minded than the average reader, but the, but the, the gospels, the epistles, all the letters, uh, the writings of the New Testament are basically written to the average person. Uh, you know, you could argue Revelation is a little more complicated and that kind of thing. Sure. But, you know, when you read Paul's epistles or you read Peter or you read Jude or you read John or you read any of these things in the New Testament, they are written to the average person like you and me. Someone didn't have to go to a magisterium of anything to understand what was being said. It was simply given, written and passed around the churches where there were pastors, but they were all learning these things as they were written and distributed and copied and sent out and this kind of thing. Um, so to think that today we can't read the scripture the same way and let it speak for itself, I think is, um, is just misguided. Uh, there's no reason to think that. Now, sure, can people get misinterpretations because they don't spend time comparing scripture with scripture, connecting the dots, understanding what it means to develop us, uh, you know, a, a solid theology? Of course they can. That's why pastors and teachers and churches need to apply themselves to helping people learn not just what it, what the Bible says, but to learn how to learn what the Bible says. Uh, people can open the scriptures themselves. John himself would say, you know, you have no need that anyone teach you. Well, he taught them that, right? He wasn't discounting the idea of teachers. He's simply saying that maturity should lead us, like the author of Hebrews would say, from milk to meat. We should be able to grow in our understanding of scripture 
personally, and this is the responsibility, again, taking a cue from that passage in Hebrews, is that this is not just something for the priests and pastors and such. This is something for the average believer to grow in their faith and therefore become teachers. And that's the call of the average, the average Christian. And so these are the reasons why I left Catholicism. And yes, again, to answer your question, there's a difference between the soteriology of, of Roman Catholicism and, uh, and of evangelical Protestant Bible believing churches. Uh, some years ago, there was that document signed by, uh, Catholics and evangelicals together. Uh, and I'm, I'm shocked not just that evangelicals signed it. I'm also shocked that Catholics signed it. Um, why on earth would anyone believe that these two groups that have such gigantic fundamental differences are essentially the same? They're not. And any Catholic should know that. And any, uh, any Bible believing Christian should know that. Um, let me clarify something here too, by the way. Again, this isn't a shot against Catholics individually, but rather it is a theological discussion. And I left for theological reasons. And, and frankly, I think you should too. But here's what I'm, I wanted to kind of bring around here. What I'm not saying is that there are no Catholics that are genuinely born again believers and saved. I think there are some, but I would add this to that. I would say that it is not because of their theology. On the one hand, they have the deity of Christ, they believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, but there are lots of other peripheral doctrines that are not as peripheral as we might think. Doctrines like the Immaculate Conception or the Assumption, the concept of transubstantiation and such. These are ideas that um, that touch on the gospel itself, not just the gospels, the writings, the four in the New Testament, but the gospel, capital uh, gospel, capital T, capital G. These ideas that are parts of a robust perspective on the part of Roman Catholics touch on the gospel itself and distort it and color it in such a way where it becomes unclear what the gospel actually is. But Paul says what the gospel actually, I would argue that Paul and Jesus himself very clearly, well, and we debate whether Jesus said it or John just said it parenthetically, but the idea that in the gospel of John chapter three, verse 16, and also Paul's writing in first Corinthians 15, one through four, where Paul speaks about how I declare to you uh, the gospel that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures, both the death, burial, and resurrection, all according to the scriptures. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. About as simple and succinct a statement as could be in regard to the gospel. And so when we add all of these additional things, and by the way, the primary element that makes the gospel different in Roman Catholicism and an error in Roman Catholicism is because in Roman Catholicism, it is not by faith alone, but it is by faith plus our efforts, our works. But Paul says, but by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. He says, all of sin fall short of the glory of God. Uh, in Hebrews, all of these offerings and sacrifices, which could never take away sin, but through his one offering. And so we ultimately find ourselves redeemed, not because of our efforts, uh, matter of fact, I'm going to close with this passage here for those who would be unfamiliar. Um, it may very well be that most of you are very familiar with this passage, or these two passages I always like to read together. But uh, for those who are unfamiliar, this might be like a draft of living water pouring into your soul. Listen to these words here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. 
It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then Galatians chapter 2, in uh, verse 20 and 21, uh, verse 21 in particular, where Paul says, similarly, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Now you may say, well, it's not just coming through the law, it's coming through grace and works. Right, but if you don't have the works, you're not saved. So it is by works. You can't add anything to grace and have it still be grace. It's not a gift if you did something to earn it. It's wages. And the wages of sin is death. And that's what Paul says. And we are all dead in sin. Again, David spoke about how in iniquity I was conceived in my mother's womb. I have been a sinner since I was in the womb. It didn't even take me doing anything yet. I was already a sinner. Once I came out into the world, all I did was live that out to varying degrees. But it is Christ who has come and made me new. He didn't just stop what I was doing. He changed what I am. And that is the beauty of the gospel. And that is not the gospel of Roman Catholicism, but that is, in fact, the gospel in Scripture. And so... um Boy, uh, I would say that that is about the most succinct attempt at answering a question like that, I think, that I have ever given. So I'm going to stop there. But I would say that um, this is a topic that we could go on for days and days and days. Literally, I'm not even exaggerating, for days. This is a very, very important topic. And so I guess on that note, um, uh, others have spoken about it as well eloquently. I will just throw my own hat in the ring and say that if you'd like to chase that down a little further, this idea of the gospel, uh, you can go to my website at parsonspad.com and on the, the left column you'll see a, a list of different topics and headings that we've covered. One of them is the gospel. We have a whole bunch of videos where we've spoken about this very thing. I'd encourage you to listen to some of those. And of course, any studies in Romans and things like this are going to be touching on this subject. And it's very, very important that we do understand it because there is nothing more important than having the right gospel. And if it depends on anything other than Christ, then you've got the wrong gospel. So let me go ahead and leave it there. But Father, we thank you for the clarity of the gospel. We thank you that you and your word uh, in your revealed, inspired word, your God-breathed word, your revelation to us, have told us what is required, that we come by faith. And so we just pray, uh, Lord, for those who are um, who are believing something other than that, that, they are believing that they can somehow do enough to sort of offset the scales and earn their way. Father, we thank you that your word not only doesn't speak about that being the right way, it completely condemns that kind of thinking. And we just pray that that would become clear to any who are cloudy or in doubt about what your word has to say about the gospel. We pray that, Father, we would see many, many saved as the gospel goes forth in the various missionary and evangelistic outreaches and, and efforts, but even right here in our own midst, in our own sphere of influence, in those we see day to day at work or at home or in, among our friends, that as we live out and as we share and express with our words the, the gospel truth that Christ has come God in the flesh, he has come and he has paid for our sins by dying for them all, past, present, and future on the cross. And as he said, it is finished. It is paid in full. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. And we thank you that this is because you so loved us that you gave your only begotten son, that if we would believe in him, we'd not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you that for those of us who believe in the name of the son of God, we know that we have eternal life. Thank you that the Holy Spirit has sealed us. Thank you that when we 
take our last breath on earth and find ourselves standing in your presence, we will not need to be afraid or we will not need to be ashamed because our advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, has stood before us and has covered us and has paid for us and has brought us and will finish that which he started in us and we will find ourselves in your presence as accepted beloved sons and daughters. Thank you for this. And we just praise you and bless you for your grace. Truly, it is amazing. So, Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.